And now the moment we've all been waiting for. I am Nate Riggle, and you are listening to The Way of the Bonfire. All right, welcome back. I want to share a story of a time in my life when things were quite uncertain from a conventional standpoint, at least. And the reason I say it was a time of uncertainty from a conventional standpoint is because I had just quit my job and I did not have another one lined up yet. (gasps) I know that's not a very smart move in the eyes of the world. And it doesn't follow the sensible rule of thumb that says, You're way more attractive to other employers when you have a job than when you don't. But I really like to challenge the norm. So let's just say it's one of my guiding principles. And by the way, from someone who has actually experienced testing that over and over and over again in real life and is not repeating something that he saw in a book or on YouTube or on Instagram, not that that's bad. I'm just letting you know that (laughs) this is a direct story that uh, this round. And you're getting it right from the source. So my observation from doing that, from challenging the norm, my observation is certainty and security is an illusion way more often than it isn't. And I'm not advocating for, on the other extreme, blindly just doing stupid stuff because we don't like the safe and accepted path. And we're just, our identity is rebellious. Like, that's not the point. That, That extreme strategy can be, needlessly damaging and devastating like to a point of almost not being able to return from it. So how do we find the sweet spot between unnecessarily dangerous and too safe? And what I'm the case I'm making here is that belief and partnership and commitment is a way more worthwhile thing to seek than comfort, stability, and predictability. There's room for all of those things in our lives and we should find the balance, but this is about getting to that, that sweet spot and, and trying to stay there because whenever someone says like, I'm, I'm, I'm having some growth or I'm trying something new. Whenever somebody says, this is going to be really hard and it's not all it's cracked up to be, or it's kind of a, a lot of pain coming your way. I tend to feel the influence of that statement rattle me. And change my mind for a second. And then the real and better part of me says, where the heck do you think you're going? I don't want it to be easy or or unnecessarily hard. I want it to be as easy as it can be without giving up the growth and excitement and fulfillment that comes with it. So some stuff will be easy, but some stuff better be hard or I'm way off track. But like LeVar Burton says, you don't have to take my word for it. I'm completely open to someone having a totally different lived experience. I'm just here to share perspectives in as real of a way as possible. So you have more info to make your own call. So on that note, let's dive into the story. So at the time, my younger brother, Jake, He had been off in the wilderness in Northern California in the Sierra mountain range and was a guide and a chef of sorts riding horses and sleeping under the stars. Most nights chasing off bears as 
they came to his makeshift kitchen. I know it sounds made up, but it's not. And after he had kind of just finished that adventure in his life, he called me knowing I was between jobs and said, Hey, Nate, you want, you want to go back on a backpacking trip with me? And I was like, uh, yes, but I'm out of shape. And in typical Jake fashion, he's like, whatever, are you coming or not? And so I talked to my sweet wife who said, yeah, go for it. She's always been so supportive and sometimes at her own costs. So just a reminder to all you spouses out there who have a supportive partner. Don't take that for granted. And before I knew it, I was in one of the most beautiful, wild, and gorgeous places on earth. It had such clear water and the streams and the mountains and the lakes. They looked more majestic than like a painting. And we had horses and mules, but I, I carried everything on my back, as did my brother. And there were some younger and incredibly fit 18 to 20 somethings on the trip with us. And their, their parents were cowboys and ranchers in their spare time. And so they taught their children well in the way of humility and encouragement and empathy and respect. But they did, however, bring one of their friends with them who was cocky and insecure and kind of insufferable. And admittedly, I'd gotten out of shape. As I told my brother, I was working way too many hours at a super stressful job, just kind of slaving away at, uh, at stuff. And so as, as we hiked, this kid would come up and heckle us for the first few days of the trip. And it's like, um, what's happening here? But he was, he was just like reminding us how we had been in some, he in this elite boy scout troop growing up and how he he had more stamina and grit from all his adventures than us despite being several years younger and i kind of felt some sympathy or empathy remembering what it was like being 18 and thinking that the world this should bow down to you <laughs> and what it felt like to hurt like that inside to feel like you had to prove everything um, so I let it slide and my younger brother, he's always been more humble and wise than me. So it was in his nature to not let it get to him. I'd be lying if I didn't say he was getting under my skin a little. Anyway, the horses and mules kept a, a good pace sometimes. And I just needed to stop and get a drink and try to catch my breath. But this kid would just blaze up past us and with a condescending look would walk backwards and laugh and shake his head and say, I, I still remember it. This one still rings in my ears. Like, don't, don't stop. That'll just make you sore, old man. And we aren't going to wait for you. And today I probably would have just laughed at him, but I was in my late twenties. So I admit it's, it's stung. And I think he was kind of swarming in on my defensiveness and I didn't have as thick as skin as I do now, but my brother just reminded me that dude, he's just a kid. Let's just have a good time. So I obliged and kept plodding along 
And then we got to a point where we made camp in this, gosh, this beautiful place at the foot of this huge peak. And there are lakes all around us. And again, it was like sitting in a painting. Um, and the plan was, as we plopped everything down and set up camp and we're eating dinner, was to, the next day we were at all, whoever wanted to come is going to climb a peak as a day excursion the next morning. It was the highest peak in the area, and it had a reputation for being quite a challenge to go up, let alone to summit it. And some people just, they wanted to stay back because the unknown was a bit too much for them. And again, no judgment. But I had been rock climbing and mountaineering since I was 13. And knew that there was something up there for me, whether I was ready for it or not. And my brother and I, and all the most fit people, headed up early in the morning. And it was a beautiful climb that was actually not too bad until we increased elevation from kind of our high elevation camp by another thousand feet up that mountain. And we stayed together, checking on each other and having each other's back when all those all-stars got out ahead. The one foot in front of the other. And then the mountain starts, we get up there and there's a beautiful lake and it's like, good grief, this glacial lake. It's like, there's, you couldn't take a picture of it and make it feel and look the same as when you're there. And then the mountain got craggy. And there's a lot of large gaps and boulders to navigate and clear. And then a slippery ice field where we needed to use an ice axe in a few spots just to keep from sliding backwards and to access the non-slippery kind of rock outcropping on the glacier that eventually led to a saddle or kind of this, um, this weak spot in between the mountains and being between the different peaks. And it was about 700 feet below the summit, if I remember right. So it felt like we were getting really close. Um, we'd run, we had both run out of water, but we found a, a few springs where the glacier was just gushing out water. And it was like, you could hear the angels singing kind of thing. Like, oh, and I actually drank so much of it. I got a little barfy. And it's kind of weird when you're out in that remote of a spot and that kind of rugged and unforgiving territory to feel that kind of thing. But we finally got up to the saddle, which was the first place you could sit in about an hour of technical and sketchy scrambling over. It, it, there's no marked path, right? Um, because you can't, you can't put a path over, <laughs> over boulders and rocks that are constantly moving. And the rest of the group had been sitting there catching their breath and, and planning their route and, and final ascent to the summit. And the 18-year-old who had been heckling us, had he had a look of fear and fatigue in his eyes that you could, I could tell he was trying to hide. And he was making all these excuses for why he was going to head down. And we just, my brother and I just patted him on the head and said, it's okay, buddy. And just kept heading up toward the summit one foot in front of the other. You could see the drop off on the other side and all the ground that we had covered. It was, it was beautiful. And it evoked like sort of this 
primal feeling in me. Like I'm in this unforgiving place and there's lots of risk and danger ahead as I looked at like the next section, just tons, way more loose rock and the cliff faces were more sheer surrounding the summit. But I realized I wasn't feeling fear. That's not what it was. It was this wild aliveness and a thrill that I had let kind of slip from who I was for, for so long. Like there was no other place on the planet that I should be at that moment. And the more humble athletic people, you know, they asked us, is it okay if we just take, we, we want to go this dangerous route with, without you guys. And we responded, yeah, we'll, we'll see at the top. Cause we'd been, we'd done all that crazy stuff when we were younger and more in shape. And we're like, just don't be stupid. So then Jake and I started taking steps that were maybe some of the slowest of our lives. Like we would get out of breath after five steps sometimes. And those five steps took us several minutes to take, but we're taking shorter breaks as well. So at one point Jake asked if I was okay and whether I'd be all right if he kept moving because he, he needed to feel a little more momentum and progress for his own sanity. And I said, yes. And he got quite a bit ahead of me. We just barely in view of each other just for the sake of, of still kind of keeping track of each other and making sure that we could come back if something happened. But I started to feel like I'd lost some strength the further he got away from me because he was not as close to me to keep encouraging me. And I was thinking thoughts like, I'm just holding him back. From this spot, there was that feeling like the summit was somehow getting further away. I don't know if anybody who's climbed a mountain knows what I'm talking about. But it's like, gosh, I, I just put everything I had into this and it still seems, it seems somehow further away. And that maybe it wasn't within reach for me, but that was in reach for Jake. And then right as I was starting to make excuses on why it would or might be okay for me to give up and just rest until everyone else summoned it and came down. This woman in maybe her late fifties with long gray hair stopped in front of me on her descent and said, Hey, I know how you are feeling. And I'm thinking, I don't know about that. She said, your head is spinning. You feel like you have nothing left in you. And you're thinking about not going to the summit. I was too tired and exhausted to, to hide it. So I conceded that she was right with just a single nod. And she said, it's okay. I was feeling that way just 30 minutes ago, right in the spot you were standing. But here's what helped me. I just realized I could go as slow as I needed to. And I promise you that standing on that summit is worth it. It's more beautiful than you can imagine. I know that I, this all is so beautiful, but there is nothing like it is up there. So I thanked her and her words just echoed in my ears as I navigated in slow motion all the way to the cliff faces at the top where my brother and I kind of came together and we were spotting each other, not because it was difficult climbing, but because we were exhausted. So when we pulled up to the peak of our of the, of the mountain, 
our friend like pulled over just like oh my gosh i can't believe we're here our friends were there just so excited for us to join them and so excited to tell us how they almost died like three times <laughs> and as i stood at the top in the middle with my brother we both had this surge of energy and screamed and shouted and pounded our chest like neanderthals <laughs> It was like a spontaneous thing. And then a sense of reverence and beauty and respect for the 2,000 foot drop off just behind us set in. I realized that the woman who gave me those encouraging words and perspective, she told the truth. It was everything she promised. And then the trip down, you know, that was much easier, but it took longer than expected because our legs were just jello. And again, I'll call them the athletic ones. You know, they got back to camp and started a campfire and we're eating dinner when Jake and I staggered our way back maybe a half hour to an hour later into the camp. And the prideful kid looked up at me and my brother and said, hey, we wondered if you guys were going to make it back tonight. You look dead. It was just that one last pitiful jab to preserve his dignity and pride that I would have let him keep without saying something like that. And I would have given it to him, but I couldn't resist. And I said, I'm just getting warmed up. I got plenty left. And <laughs> I started doing this wild and ridiculous dance, just moving my feet and my arms and trying to sing a little tune. And then my body just said, okay, buddy, that's enough. And my knees, my legs, they just lost all their strength and they gave out and I started to fall forward. But I stumbled in protest, desperately just trying to stand straight and put my arms out and bow for a glorious finish. But I stumbled and tripped over camp chairs and logs and backpacks awkwardly for like a really good distance of probably 20 feet. And finally, the gray of the ground caught up with me. Turns out it's really hard to stumble uphill. And I turned and I swiveled and fell flat on my back. And I closed my eyes and I just fell into that silent, hysterical laughter, the kind that doesn't allow you to breathe or make any sound. And I just heard the entire camp of like 20 people just laughing and roaring and clapping. And I looked up, others are laying on the ground because their laughter made them too weak to stand up. And I saw the punk kid laughing and no longer prideful or embarrassed for himself. And I was so happy for him and for me for finding the line of where I could go no further in that moment. And I always think about that trip. It matters not how fast you go, but how you go and how you treat other people. And you have way more inside of you then you or anyone knows. Go find the line and try to jump over it. Don't compare yourself to others. Just give whatever you got. Feel empathy for the haters because it's their wounds they are trying to heal by making you feel inadequate. And most of all, have a partner who believes in you and in your partnership. Look out for each other and all the people on the path. Be the one who encourages and helps others see what they cannot see. Go get them! 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I love the chance to make your day better in some way. Whether that ends up being just a quick reset that you needed to change things up, or even just a laugh or some fresh perspective. If you're getting value out of it, can you please do me a favor and share it with someone else? Because as more people find and listen to the show, I'm able to bring more good stuff more often. It is the fuel to the bonfire. Also, I'd love to hear your feedback and any thoughts or ideas or questions you have so we can be more connected and make the show even better with your input and your inspiration. The quickest way to do that is to send a message to my Instagram handle at Way of the Bonfire, which is also included in the show notes. And if you just want to avoid accidentally scrolling on social media, you can send me an email at nate at wayofthebonfire.com. And you know it, but make sure you click that follow button so you can catch new episodes as soon as they're available. Keep tending the bonfire, and we'll see you on the next one.